Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Toddcast Show. I am joined today by Nee. Nee, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Hey, doing great, man. Nice to meet you. Where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Southern California. Really? That sounds great. Or is it? I, I always wonder these days. It used to be great. What's it like today? Um, what is it outside right now? I think it's 82 right now outside. Exactly. Beach weather, man. <laughs> that sounds great. Is it nice in the area? Like what part of SoCal do you live? I used to live in San Diego and Irvine and a couple other places. Okay. I live in Fullerton, but uh, my, I'm in my office right now. I'm in uh, San Dimas. Awesome. That's cool. San Dimas is where they have that cool water park, right? Raging Rivers or something like that? Yeah, they have the, the water park here. Um, what's it called? I think it's Raging Waters. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that as a kid. That's crazy, man. How cool. And were you born in Southern California or did you come from somewhere else? <clears throat> no, I was born in Vietnam. Uh, I moved moved to the States when I was uh, six. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And both of your parents still together? Yeah. Awesome. And I assume that you moved here with them, correct? You probably didn't move by yourself at that age. <laughs> no. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be talking about a whole other story. How did you do it, man? You know, <laughs> at age six. Um, and so in life in Vietnam, may I ask a little bit about that, you know, from being from America and having really never had an opportunity to travel much. I really enjoy the culture, but don't really know what it's like to live or be born into a different country. Can you describe that a little bit for our listeners? 
Well, the culture is definitely uh, Asian culture in um, you know Asian countries are a lot different than it is in Western culture. Um, Got that right. For example, um, <clears throat> you know, teachers and educators in um, in Vietnam, you know, have a lot of respect from students, and there's um, an understanding that you know the student misbehaves. You know, they are able to discipline the students, and the parents are all for that. You know, whereas that culture is much different here in the states. Mm -hmm. Would you say that it's built on um, stronger family values and uh, you know uh, a sense of morality and whatnot around respect and things like that? Yeah, most definitely. I think. Um, uh, you know, in Vietnam, there's a, you know, you respect your parents, you don't talk back to your parents, there's a big emphasis on family and uh, helping out your family, um, whereas I feel like here, everyone's kind of on their own sometimes, which yeah. is kind of sad. It is sad. It is sad. What do you think makes that change in Asian culture? I've noticed that a lot. Um, and my exposure to Asian culture, especially, but also in Latin culture, uh, family just seems way more important to people in other countries. Why do you think that is? You know, I think part of that is from um, the agricultural component. I think a lot of uh, Asian cultures, you know, they grew up with, with large families and relying on each other to help with the uh, agriculture and grow and farming and I guess that kind of stuck with the um, with the traditions, even though that you know agriculture is not a big part of the culture anymore. Um, so I think that probably lies where a lot of the um, family bonding comes from, because you know you rely on your family, your siblings, and everyone kind of pitch in and do their share. Um, so I think that kind of continues, even though the agriculture part is not a big part of um, their. Interesting. Yeah, I would never have thought of that. I know in the Old West here, I live in central Arizona, and uh, this is kind of Old West territory, a lot of history. It's really quite interesting when you think of it, but, you know, there were similar things going on in this country, you know, with farming and different things like that. You know, I never really would have put that together with uh, the family values, but that's a great point. Do you think that there's anything else that stands out that makes it different? I mean, just um, from uh, a cultural perspective, you know, a lot of the folklores um, really relies, you know, talks about family values. So I think a lot of that kind of gets spread, you know, passed down as well. So there's a deep-rooted um, kind of culture aspect of uh, the family values that, like, no one really kind of questions or uh, or uh, changes because I think that's what yeah, why would they it works yeah that's cool were you gonna say Buddhist yes I'm Buddhist awesome that's cool what um, what's the hallmark of a Buddhist philosophy uh, versus like Christianity or another belief system what's the main thing that a Buddhist believes above all of other things you know like in Christianity it's Jesus Love the neighbor as yourself, that sort of thing. What do you, what do Buddhists believe? You know, in Buddhist religion, I think the biggest um, 
kind of achievement you can do is basically to kind of let go of all your uh, um, humanly needs. And I think that's the uh, toughest part of um, it all. Basically, you know, avoid greed, lust, um, and, you know, all the, uh, basically the same sins as other religions. But, you know, our goal is to kind of not let that control how we behave. Mm-hmm. As Perfect. opposed to, um, you know, any anything else like, you know, where other religions where you you fear the backlash of like, what you do with them, with their particular gods. But, you know, for us, I think the goal is to just be that person that's able to let go of all those um, humanly desires and lusts and anger and not let that bother you. I would imagine to maintain um, a perspective of spirituality and not to be influenced by those distractions probably is another way to put it, right? Yeah, essentially. Okay, that's cool, man. Very cool. So it's more than just breaking boards over your chest or like uh, bending nails with your fingers, right? <laughs> no. Just kidding, just kidding. Those are the Shaolin monks that do that, yeah. aren't they? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's cool, man. And uh, so in Vietnam, do you have, um, you know, an early memory that you could share? What's your first or earliest memory of living in Vietnam as a child? Um, I mean, I think my fondest memory would be uh, visiting my uh, grandma in the uh, old countryside. You know, she has a huge yard. I don't know how many acres, uh, but multiple acres uh, with green lush plants and fruits and fruit trees um, you know I used to visit her during the summers I think those are my fondest memories mm-hmm. just kind of the you know the uh, time where there's no electronics there's just mm-hmm. you know, you, just you and mother nature and your family and just going outside and, and food food Vietnamese food is amazing Oh yeah, yeah, and then the uh, fresh seafoods they uh, mm. got to get from the uh, the Mekong River. Napalm River. The Mekong River. Oh, okay, that's better. I thought you said napalm. I was like, no. oh my gosh, wow! <laughs> I don't know if I'd eat the fish out of that. Um, <laughs> that's really cool. And then, what was the catalyst for you moving with your family um, to the states? Uh, well, we had a lot of uh, family that already living in the States, so mm-hmm. they just, uh, you know, sponsored our family to come over since not a lot of, we don't have a lot of family left in uh, Vietnam, so we just moved here with uh, my mom's uh, siblings. Uh-huh. And you have siblings of your own? Yes. I have uh, two brothers and a sister. Awesome. Where do you stand in the lineup? I am the youngest. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Good for you. Um, does all of your siblings share, you know, a com? You know, is there commonality amongst you, or are you all very different? Um, I think we're all separated by a good amount of years, so we all kind of have our own personalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. And when you got to the states, uh, what was it like uh, being from Vietnam as a child and? I'd imagine you integrated into the public school system and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. What was that yeah, like? So that was actually a, a trip. <laughs> uh, I remember 
first day of school, obviously didn't speak a word of English, uh, didn't know what was going on. Mm. Um, and my first memory was I was in class. I guess some other student was throwing a tantrum. He went up to the uh, front of the class and started knocking over all the books on the ground. Wow. And, you know, just like I talked about before, you know, that's like unheard of in you know Vietnam. Like, you would never do that. <laughs> no, welcome to America. And where was this? What city? Um, when we moved, we lived in Laguna. Ah, Laguna Beach yeah. or Laguna Hills? Big difference. Uh, Laguna Niguel. Oh, Laguna Niguel. Okay, yeah. perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I know that area pretty well, actually. It's nice there. That's amazing, though. Talk about a sense of entitlement, right? Is that what you yeah. got from it? What was your uh, what was your take on that coming from a totally different culture? Like, what was your initial response like? You know, I actually went up there and picked up all the books for the teachers. And it was like, oh, my God, I don't know what this kid doing. <laughs> wow. Good for you, man. Did that I set mean, you I, apart? Did that set you apart? or? Create? I mean, the teacher was like, I don't know what she was saying to me. She's probably saying thank you. But, uh, you know, I was... No, I didn't know what she was saying. I just picked it up. I was like, man, you shouldn't be doing that to a teacher's, yeah, <laughs> a teacher's <exactly>. classroom. <laughs> what, what did the other kids think about that? I mean, everyone else just stood around and sat in a chair and watched what was going on. And I put the books back and then I went to go back to sit down in my chair. Cool. But in my head, I was like, what the heck is wrong with this kid? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that and, uh, wasn't the last time you saw things like that, right? Yeah, and then the response from the teacher is actually surprising, too, because, you know, if they did that in Vietnam, that kid would have got a, a beating. <laughs> yeah, out back, like everybody would have got a turn, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, what the heck is going on? I think wow, that was man. my first memory of the classroom. I was just like, wow, things are different here. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. And so how did that progress for you? Like, um, you learned to speak English. How long did that take? You know, I don't really remember the how long, really. It probably took several years. You know, the first few years were extremely difficult. I went from, you know, being the top kid in the class to being probably the, literally the worst kid in class. You know, I didn't know English. I didn't know any assignments. I don't know what the instructions were. I didn't even know what, what I was supposed to be doing. The only thing I did know was just math. I mean, besides math, every other subject, I had no idea what was going on. And a lot of times, you know, uh, sadly, you know, I felt like I want to go back to Vietnam. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I feel left out. I don't feel like I fit in. I don't have any friends. I sat by myself during my break. Did not talk to anybody. Um, yeah, a lot of times it was it was pretty rough. Mm. Were you ever picked upon or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was like the, you know, I, like I said, I live in the Gouda, you know, it's predominantly Caucasians and um, they're middle upper class area. So they don't know what a uh, what an immigrant is. So I stood out like a sore thumb to everyone. Man, that's a shame. And how did you overcome that? Uh, you know, eventually with time, um, I learned more English, able to kind of respond, and got into a lot of fights. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually uh, we moved because uh, I was starting to uh, get into too many fights at school. 
Wow, man. And it was all because of just being different? I think because, like, um, culturally it's different, and then, like, language barrier is different, and the I just don't understand their, where they're coming from, and they don't understand where I'm coming from. Man, that's crazy. Sounds pretty darn ignorant on their part, if you ask me, brother. Um, you know, a uh, long, long time ago, just a real quick story, I, I lived in this apartment complex, and I was right up front downstairs, and I walked by all these different places, and my next-door neighbor, the uh, two apartments downstairs were these, I guess they were family, I never really knew, but they were all Mexican people, and none of them spoke English, and Man, I had some of the best times hanging out with them, and we'd stop, and we would communicate using our hands and different gestures and things and, you know, pick up little words here and there. But, like, for the most part, it was fun to try to figure out what the other person was saying. I can't imagine having conflict over that. That is ridiculous, um, if I do say so myself. Um, so if I was there, I would have stood up for you, bro, but <laughs> no question. <laughs> And then we would have been friends, and you could have helped me with my math homework, because that was my worst <laughs> subject. <laughs> cool. So you were a fighter in school, and uh, that's how you learned to be um, the leader of a, a, a street gang today, right? Is that what you are? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the leader of the only... Um, the only uh, street gang of its type in your area. Actually, yeah. no, you've uh, excelled into something else. Let's um, kind of get to the place where you figured out where your life was going to go, and then let's explore some things down that road together. Yeah, sure. So tell yeah, me a little so bit about, like, after the tumultuous, you know, I'm assuming junior high and high school were probably getting better because your language barrier was decreasing but like at what point did you start to gain traction in your life here in america and figure out what you know what you wanted to do with your life yeah so you know we did move in middle school um but things were already getting better at that point uh, before we moved um but you know my parents wanted to move to an area that you know has a more uh, asian community to to see it that helps with our transition. So we moved. Um, we moved to the Tustin uh, Irvine area. So that, like, you know, there's more Asian community there. Oh, yeah. um, so things, you know, were I was in the, you know, the odd man out at that point. So things were a lot better. Um, same with high school, you know, I wasn't you know dealing with a lot of issues uh, at that point because there's lots of other asian kids and uh, english wasn't that much of an issue at that point so cool um, so at that point i was just kind of one of the other kids normal kids at that point so okay um, was, can i ask a quick question uh -huh. was that the end of uh temper tantrums in the classroom also <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, you know, things were, um, the kids were behaving more properly in classrooms. I would imagine so, totally. I was just curious, but yeah, I figured as much. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, growing up, actually, I wanted to be an artist. Um, you know, that's where the book came from. I, and I did all the illustrations myself, the one book series. Mm -hmm. um, You're an author as well? Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, so I wrote and illustrated the books um, on mental health because a lot of it, it's uh, my own stories and the stories of my patients that I wanted to share to make you know the public and especially kids more aware, self-aware of you know what's going on in the world and what's going on with their emotions. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you are you uh, well? Let's get to the take me to the place where you got to figure all this out and then let's dive into your current career but tell me a little bit about how you found the road to the place where you are today and what happened to make those things possible yeah no no problem um so you know essentially i didn't really know what i wanted to do i wanted to be an artist but you know being uh the youngest in an immigrant family you know that's not something that my you're gonna get a lot of support with with your parents mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but you know, my all my siblings were in uh, went the medical route, so you know, I being the youngest, I looked up to them, so I kind of followed in suit, and um, that's where I ended up in medicine. Oh, are you a doctor? Yeah. Oh wow, cool! And uh, you mentioned mental health issues. Is that your specialty? No, I'm a family doctor. Oh, okay, cool. Are you like a psychologist also? No, I'm family doctor, so you know we kind of treat the gamut of all of it. We see you know mental health, non-mental, like just chronic medical conditions and acute conditions, and kind of see the gamut, see it all. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And so um, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, so like I said, you know that's uh, where how I end up being uh, in the medical field. Just awesome. Very, very cool. And so you uh, graduated medical school in what year? Uh, graduated medical school in 2012. Right on, man. Was that uh, the proudest moment of your life? Uh, it's okay to say no. I'm just wondering what did it feel like because that's a lot of work, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm trying to reflect. I mean, it was... Uh, moment of relief really more than uh, proud i'm like because it's done with and i got mm-hmm. through it <laughs> right on right on that's awesome and uh, your first practice was uh where it is now or was it in a different location no uh, afterwards um i we did you know after med school we all have to do residency and then uh, uh i think the proudest moment was actually uh finishing residency for me to be honest because mm-hmm. i was uh a hundred times rougher than medical school. Mm. Because it was really real life, right? Like you were actually like an internship, correct? Yeah, I mean, you're the doctor. So it's uh, the first time you get your hands wet, you know, first time you see a, a patient pass away, first time you deal with uh, pretty much anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's crazy. Wow. Was it exciting or scary? What was that like being new in that area? I mean, just like everyone else, I think um, the first time, first day residency, you all want to crap in your pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the real deal, man. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't even worry about liability. You've got life in your hands, you know, and yeah, that's a huge deal, man. That must be quite an awesome responsibility. I never really think about that when I go see my doctor. I just hope that he's got the right knowledge to figure things out. (laughs) Yeah, I remember uh, actually my first day of residency, I was in uh, 
the hospital doing an inpatient. Basically, we're just taking care of people in hospital and admitting them to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I think my uh, my senior said, "Hey, go go do this admission." So I said, oh, "Okay, where is the patient?" So he tells me the the ER bed. I go uh, go to see the patient, and the guy was barely breathing. So I grabbed the ER doctor and the uh, respiratory therapist. I was like, "Dude, that guy's not been breathing." Yeah. So uh, yeah, they end up uh, they end up trying to put a mask on him, but he already passed away. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Jesus. That was that was your first. That was my first patient. Jesus. <laughs> How nice! Wow. Yeah. So I All went right. back to uh, the the la- the uh, resident room. They're like, "Oh, you already done?" I was like, "No, the guy's dead." Yeah, in, in more than one way, I'm I, uh, I'm done. All right, I killed my first patient. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It sounds terrible. I should not joke about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, the but, the yeah, irony. Yeah. The irony of it is what's humorous. Yeah, like that was like the first experience as a resident. I was like, I hope it gets better than this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it did actually. Helping the living was probably more fulfilling for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, man, that's heavy. That's heavy. And so when you got out of residency, you started your own practice, right? No, after residency, uh, we uh, joined a large HMO group. Mm-hmm. What is that like? How to what as a doctor? Like, can you go and work in a hospital, or how does that work? Yeah. So when I first started, I worked in the hospital and uh, in the clinic. Um, it was a hybrid, meaning I had clinic and I worked in hospital rounds as well. Hmm. Um, but in the last year, I I stopped and I'm just uh, in the clinic now. Very cool, man. Very cool. Did you feel fulfilled working in the hospitals like that? You know, a lot of it is I, for most doctors that do both, they kind of want to keep up their skills and kind of be familiar with the hospital setting and the outpatient setting. But, you know, as my family grew, um, it was just taking too much of my time and I need to allocate some of that time to my kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. And how many kids do you have? I didn't even think to ask. Oh, I have two. Awesome, man. Awesome. Very cool. Good for you. Very, very cool. Um, so let's kind of dive into some of the things that you're interested in and maybe we can discuss it from a mutual perspective because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone dealing with mental health and children, um, I read a little bit about you and, you know, I know that you deal with stuff like that. I grew up with mental health issues. Um, I was of course diagnosed with the all popular ADHD with a capital letter all the way from left to right. <laughs> I was a spastic little guy. Um, But, you know, they didn't know. I was born in 1970. And in 1970, no, 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 I was born in 1971. I'm so sorry. And uh, in 1972, somewhere in the first year of my life, they wanted to put me in an institution because they didn't understand why I was, like, not going to sleep and why I kept moving around when the other babies were sleeping and stuff like that. And, uh, from what I've heard, the stories I've heard, like I was one step away from being in a totally different place. And thank God my mother, you know, did whatever she did to fix that. Um, but there's been a lot of, uh, you know, things over the years that have come to light. And obviously the, uh, 
propensity for people to medicate for all sorts of weird conditions. I mean, gosh, there's a condition for the conditions now. Like, you know, ailments have their own ailments. It's ridiculous. It's getting so crazy. But, yeah. you know, I thought maybe we could explore a little bit together and some of my memories growing up and struggles I've had and contrast that a little bit with your mental health uh, knowledge and you know, training and whatever it is that you like to do, maybe we can kind of approach it that way. And it might be fun for you just to have a chance to talk with somebody who has been through that, you know, and now I'm an adult and I still struggle with certain things, but, you know, it's a lot better than it was. And hopefully that can provide hope, you know, for people struggling with their <coughs> children dealing with things like this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what do you think about the term ADHD, man? Is it uh, a buzzword or is it a real thing? You know, I think um, in the last, you know, decade or so, there's a lot more understanding about ADHD. So, you know, there's different criteria now. Um, you know, they, they use, um, that they can use to properly diagnose and they have, um, kind of tweeze out, you know, which conditions would, you know, be a good candidate for medication, which conditions would not. Um, but like I said, there's more understanding in the last uh, decade now. So I think, um, you know, it's not so much a buzzword, buzzword, like kind of catch all before that, you know, they didn't know what to do with kids. They just labeled them ADHD. So, but now I think they have a you know, much more good grasp of it and uh, diagnose it much more properly. Do you happen to know what causes it? Uh, is there things that a parent does uh, that can influence those types of outcomes in a birth? You know, I don't think there's really solid data showing you know, what factors can contribute to uh, ADHD. Um, so, you know, we really, I don't think there's a really good answer for that. Well, for example, like in my family, I'm the youngest of three. And the other two, you know, might struggle with their own issues. I don't know mm -hmm. what they are, but um, they certainly aren't the same as mine. Uh, there's no question we're very different people. And mm -hmm. I was the only one that struggled with these things. I was just wondering if there could have been, you know, like some difference. Um, you know, the genetics were the same with my father and mother between my middle brother and I, but my oldest brother shares a different father. So I was just wondering. Um, if there was something there. Um, and I remember growing up as a child, always being different, you know, and um, for whatever it's worth, it's kind of funny listening to you talk about being an immigrant and feeling different. Well, man, I was white as rice in my <laughs> proper place and I still felt different. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was different, you know, and I had an interest in things that were outside of other people's interest. And when everybody sat down, I was like, wanting to get up and run somewhere <laughs> you know that was my childhood and so yeah. it clearly created problems for my family and stuff in different ways and i don't really fully understand all that you know i look back and think about it but um you know what do you think is like for example in my particular situation it was energy right like mm -hmm. they knew that like holy crap this little thing is moving way too fast and it's not stopping uh, we need to figure something out. So like, you know, when I was a little kid, they figured out that caffeine was something that could help change all that. So like they fed me coffee, right? Mm -hmm. And so the whole coffee thing was, 
really weird, but I guess it sort of worked for a while until they found Ritalin, and then I took yeah. Ritalin for most of my childhood years and until marijuana was discovered, and then that was actually a lot better um, than Ritalin, <clears throat> mm -hmm. I thought. Um, but in all reality, uh, when you're young and you're struggling with things, and maybe you're a parent of a young person, clearly we're not speaking to kids here, we're going to be speaking to parents, but if a child is struggling with different things, how do you know if it's stress versus some sort of mental illness? I mean, obviously, we don't want to push anyone into a category, but how can you tell the difference between like normal day-to-day -day life stuff versus like, man, there might be something going on here that needs, you know, some addressing? Yeah, I think a lot of it, um, you have to kind of tweeze it out. Um, for, for kids, for example, you know, there, like I said, there are certain criterias Usually, um, you know, the psychiatrists would have the uh, teachers fill out a form and the uh, parents fill out a form and kind of see how their behavior is in the classroom versus home, if there's any inconsistencies or if there is any inconsistencies. Uh, and I think that's a, one way to, uh, you know, help kind of tweeze out if it's just, uh, there's something going on beyond that. I see. I see. And if there is something going on, how would you know, like from uh, pointing out those inconsistencies? Is that primarily where the first hint of a problem is? Or how do you kind of say, hey, you know, maybe this is something we should talk about? Well, I mean, I don't want to go into all the medical details, but essentially, you know, if there is consistency in their uh, turn behaviors where, you know, they're having trouble focusing, they're always uh, distracted, you know, they're always um, uh, distracting other kids, or, and then if that behavior is kind of consistent at home and at school, then there's probably something, you know, underlying with that, where, but if at school they seem to be behaving fine, at home they're acting up, or vice versa, then, you know, then there may be something else going on. Mm -hmm. And these things, these conditions, if you will, um, not just ADHD, but all, there's lots of them these days. Uh, is it primarily a chemical imbalance? Is it something that science can address? Or what is it that makes these things the way that they are? You know, in terms of like uh, ADHD or any kind of learning disability, like I said before, really no one knows the answer, what causes them. I mean, if they really did, uh, then you know, there would obviously be a solution. <laughs> um, that's more like um, individualized, but you know, unfortunately there isn't, so there's no real you know, individualized treatment, you know, per, you know, per child. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm a little bit older and stuff, and and uh, you know, just trying to draw parallels here. But uh, for me, at least, I don't know if you're familiar with different medications, but um, you know, I stopped taking Ritalin when I was really young, and. Mm -hmm. Then eventually as an adult, you know, I realized, man, like I really could use something to help take the pressure out of my existence <laughs> because I still struggled with, um, you know, uh, energy issues. And it was mostly like something could influence my, you know, perspective in a negative way and really throw me off. Like I still struggled with stuff like that as an adult. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was dating this girl, woman. Uh, who was a, a clinical therapist for a while. And at the time we were dating, she was a lawyer, but um, just a really wonderful person that was uh, so kind to take the time to figure out. And she did some research and we figured out that Lexapro was a really good option to try. And so mm -hmm. I did. 
And boy, oh boy, man, it changed everything. It was great. It was like all of a sudden, all that pressure was gone. I wasn't really impatient anymore. It really changed everything. And at least from my perspective, I'm really grateful for it. I've taken it twice in my life. Um, and I'm actually weaning off of it right now for the final time in my in my uh, Lexapro career. But um, one of the things I thought was neat about it, I was just wondering as a physician if you're familiar at all, um, but this particular um, drug apparently helps to wire your synapses back to their correct patterns and leave them there. So one of the choices, you know, that it came down to, it's like I didn't want to take a pill that only worked when I was taking it. And apparently Lexapro has some ability to do things permanently. Do you know anything about that? I was just curious. Yeah, so Lexapro is a, one of the SSRIs. So the purpose of SSRIs is basically to, you know, increase the serotonin level in the in between your synapses. So, you know, like it doesn't uh, rewire per se, but it does help kind of reset. It probably would be a better um, explanation of okay. uh, your levels and, you know, after. So generally, when we start someone and, you know, want to stay about six months to a year and for the first episode, just kind of just let everything settle down before we uh, taper them off. Um, but for the most part, I think uh, most people can get off of it uh, after, uh, you know, a year or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been going for, I think, three years at this point um, at 20 milligrams, and then I went to 10, and now I'm at 5. So um, it's like the last three months, I think, is the weaning from what mm -hmm. the psychiatrist said. Yeah. Um, but that's cool, man. And, uh, you know, not to make it all about me, but I just want to try to relate some of my experience just for fun and also, you know, hopefully to speak to somebody out there that's listening. Um, as a child, do you think that children, I mean, I know from my own experience what this is like, but do you think that children that struggle with mental illness feel like they're bad people or otherwise indifferent and it might lead to depression or things like that? Like, what's it like for a child to struggle with a mental illness, especially if they don't even know they have it? Yeah, so, yeah, that's why I actually wrote the my book series to kind of help educate um, parents and kids. Mm -hmm. uh, as a kid, like I said, you you don't have any perspective. So obviously, sometimes, you know, what you're feeling, you don't even know, understand what you're feeling. And uh, a lot of times, you know, from what I was feeling, I felt like I was the only weird person having these feelings. So, you know, you're not going to ask, talk to anybody about it because you don't want to feel like you're you're weird right mm -hmm. so uh, that's why I wrote the series so hopefully you know kids can read and see that hey I'm having some some similar symptoms as as that character maybe I'm not that weird maybe I should go talk about these feelings yeah absolutely and the underlying promise or hope I guess in mental illness is that it's most of them are treatable right yeah, yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, studies show that, you know, if you suffer mental health as a child, you know, there's a high likelihood of a relapse as an adult. So, you know, it's better to treat, kind of catch it early on and treat it early as opposed to kind of waiting until, until it's a later date and sometimes more, some damage has already been done. Absolutely. Um, 
kind of an off-the-wall question, but I'm kind of curious. Do you think that parents are responsible enough to recognize and treat, you know, these types of conditions? Or do you think we're living in, you know, because we live in a generation of all sorts of weird things, instant gratification and, you know, social media clout and all kinds of ridiculous things that people do. But mm -hmm. do you think that by and large parents are looking for answers and will pursue the solutions? Or do you think that things have changed over the years, you know, where people are becoming less concerned and maybe more enabling of conditions by ignoring them, let's say? You know, I can't really speak on on what our parents are doing, but in general, I think uh, as a parent, you know, you should take, you know, if you have any concerns or if their kids are misbehaving, I think the best thing I would recommend is probably take them, you know, to a medical expert and kind of talk to them and discuss them what's going on as opposed to kind of guessing on your, by your, you know, by yourself and kind of trying to navigate all by yourself. I think that's probably the best advice I can give. Um, you know, I can't really speak on how what parents are doing, but I think if any parents are listening and they have any concerns, you know, I think the best thing to do is just take them to a medical expert and um, don't kind of use your best judgment and take them. Don't try to take everything on your own shoulders and trying to diagnose by yourself and trying to figure out everything on your own. Yeah. And at what age do you start thinking about stuff like this? I mean, little babies just won't shut up, you know, that's just part of their nature. So you can't yeah. obviously figure it out like in the first year, right? Like, I mean, at what year uh, or what era, age, span, whatever, um, do you start to recognize, you know, something outside of normal childlike behavior? Um, I think you probably start um, when they're school age. I think that's when you be, should be able to start detecting any uh, you know, any issues that arise. Um, but probably when they're cognitive enough for school age is probably when you can actually really do any real investigation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. And if something like this does come up, um, do people have an easy time finding avenues for a remedy? I know that people can work with you, and that's definitely something we want to talk about as well. Um, but how hard is it to find help in this area if you're a parent looking, you know, to learn more without, you know, jumping in the deep end to try to figure out what's going on? You know, I would say it depends <laughs> on where you're, where you are. You know, I can't really have sure. an answer for all, but if you live in like a big city, then, you know, definitely there's a lot of uh, access to, uh, you know, mental health experts as opposed to where, you know, you're out in the boonies somewhere with uh, one doctor in the whole area. <laughs> yeah. And we are talking to a global audience. So in other countries yeah. as well, yeah. um, do they even address mental health issues in other countries like they do here? Or do you think that in America, they've got like a, you know, thing. It's almost like a sports team or something here. There's so many different things and they always add to them. Uh, so, you know, do you think that we blow it out of proportion here or do other countries address these issues in a similar manner? What's your take on that? 
you know, I haven't practiced outside of uh, the States, so I can't really speak on that. But um, in terms of the States, I don't think we've blown out proportion. I, mean, I think, if anything, we kind of don't put enough emphasis on it, um, in my opinion. Mm. Excellent. Yes. And if people did do that, what kind of change would you see for the world? So let's say that all the people out there struggling with mental illness suddenly got an epiphany and went out and dealt with it and were successful in treating it. How would the world change in your view? Honestly, I think the world would become a much more productive place. You know, like mental health really affects uh, a person, not mentally, but you know, they're career-wise as well. You know, they're not as productive as they could be. You know, they don't live up to their full potential. Um, and I think if all of them have their mental health treated, I think the productivity in the world would be significantly increased. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. And probably crime would decrease, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think crime is a product of mental illness? No, I wouldn't jump that far. Uh, I mean, some crimes maybe, but uh, not all crimes. I mean, some, a lot of crimes is because of a uh, uh, social economic status, you know, that goes beyond, beyond just mental health. You know, there's other things I'm not going to uh, address, but I, I would say some crimes maybe, but not... I wouldn't say it would. No, like, for example, happening. not long ago, there was some poor lady in Los Angeles that had her head chopped off in the middle of the street. I think it was in mm -hmm. L.A. Yeah, that, that's probably a mental illness, wouldn't you say? Uh, most likely. <laughs> it's not normal, that's for sure. And mm -hmm. I was breaking it down from the simple difference of right versus wrong, you know, and mm -hmm. um, not to sound naive or ignorant myself, but like, I mean, to me, man, if you're choosing wrong and you know what right is then you've got a mental illness you've got a problem you know something is wrong with you that's my perspective um you know what i mean like it just makes sense to me that you always do what's right no matter what and you know to do otherwise there's something wrong uh so i mean i might not understand it quite as well but you know to me it breaks down to be that simple you're either right or you're wrong so you know <laughs> I don't know. There's always another way, I like to think, but I do agree. There's a lot of folks that struggle with things that are seemingly impossible to escape, but there mm -hmm. is hope for those people and uh, for all of us, really. Um, so what about undiagnosed mental illness? Can we talk about adults a, a little bit, or do you primarily want to focus on children? Yeah, we can touch on adults. Okay, because that was one question I had is, you know, uh, what happens if you manage to go through your whole life and uh, not speaking for myself, I'm well aware of my issues, um, but what if you go through your life and nobody's ever told you that you have problems, but you act really weird and your behavior is completely different and you don't have like the same connection to people and feelings and things mm -hmm. that other people do, yet somehow you've been able to justify it your whole life. You're now an adult and uh, you can't be challenged because when someone tries to challenge you, you justify your behavior and never actually talk about the cause of it. To me, that's undiagnosed mental illness, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But how does it work? Like, uh, let's say that you're an adult and 
you're struggling and you've always struggled and man, you're just pissed off. But like, you never really stop to think, what, what am I doing about this problem? You know what I mean? Like a lot of times mental illness has us blaming other people for our issues. And, you know, I'm wondering how do you turn that around if you're an adult, you know, with, with no awareness of it, you know what I mean? It's like, you just have this thing that's going on and you're completely unaware of it. Um, how do you go about trying to come to terms with something like that and actually address it, you know what I mean? So that you can get through this life and actually have some sense of uh, self-awareness that's accurate. I think what you're trying to allude to is something uh, along the line of like uh, autism spectrum disorder or Asperger's uh, where, you know, they just have a little disconnect with um, the rest yeah. the rest of everyone. But, you know, for those, uh, I mean, at that point, when you're an adult, there's, even when you're a kid, you know, there's not much um, intervention that can be really had. Um, you know, they're not doing anything. They're still able to be productive members of society. They're not um, doing anything to harm anybody. Um, so, I mean, there's really no... Um, there's no answer. There's no treatment. I mean, Elon Musk said he has, uh, Asper uh, I think, Asperger's. And wow. look at him. He's like uh, the richest man in the world. So obviously it didn't affect him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. So would you say that, um, you know, I, I never really thought of it like this, but certain types of mental illness are able to be lived with in a healthy capacity? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, there's just like anything else, there's always a spectrum. And, you know, depending on where you lie on the spectrum, is, you know, how much it probably affects your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, well, leave it alone, I guess, is the question, the answer for me. <laughs> Don't ask questions. Uh, but that's good. Yeah, I've met some people like this. That's why I wanted to know. I've always been kind of curious and never really understand why they're so defensive when you ask questions and things. But, you know, um, I'm just going to stop asking questions and leave it at that. So <laughs> thank you. That's good advice. Uh, so we're down to the last uh, 15 minutes or so, and I'd like to take some time to really dive into how you can help people and what your books are about and how did you come up with your stories, you know, and kind of speak to that a little bit because we want to make sure that if there's someone out there that can get value out of this as a parent or even a young person or an adult themselves, you know, we want to do that. So if you could kind of tell us a little bit about how you got into writing books and how it deals with mental health in children and, you know, kind of take it from there. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, actually, was um, I started writing this book after I found out my uh, nephew committed suicide. Oh my! Sorry to hear that. Yeah. So I, um, you know, long story short, I got a call from my mom the other night, and let me know what happened, and you know, at that point, I realized, man, I I should really do something to help educate parents uh, help them open up a dialogue with their children about mental health and you know the book's not just for the the kids you know it's also help for the parents to kind of have a better understanding of what's going on what they're kind of seeing in their kids as well 
Hey, Nee, one quick thing, though, just so we're on solid ground, man, could you tell me, and I, I don't mean to dig, and I know it's a personal thing, but can you kind of help us understand what led to that experience for that person? Was it depression, or how, to, how did that relate to your um, wanting to pursue help in mental illness? Yeah, so I think he was uh, struggling with depression for some time, and then uh, during the pandemic, um, I think he graduated college and was having a hard time finding a job and you know I you know I didn't know all the details because I didn't really talk to him much because um, they live in the east coast um, but I think that kind of led to a point where I guess he felt hopeless and didn't know what to do and took his own life oh man I'm so sorry that's terrible that definitely would be quite an influence and so you wrote your first book based on that well, the, my uh, book series is a series of eight books, and each book touches on a different mental health topic. Um, but the the book basically just goes in order from the start of uh, the school year. So it follows a character named Max. Um, he starts out in the sixth grade and uh, starts from first day until the last day of school and into summer. Uh, basically, summer is the the end of the, the book series, that would be book eight. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And is it uh, like day-to-day, -day, his experiences? or? Um, so each book basically uh, will follow a different character. Uh, uh, one of his friends uh, basically shifts the perspective. So you know, I purposely did that to show, you know, try to teach some empathy to show that, you know, a character, what you're... Uh, what you see is not what is actually what's going on in the character's life and what they're experiencing. So a lot of times with social media, you don't really know what's real, what's not. And uh, the purpose of the series is one is to show that you know everyone has their own struggles and no one's life is perfect. Um, it's one, and then two is to kind of ed use that to educate you know about you know different topics that um, that children will run into and what to do in those situations like um for example the first book uh it's about bullying mm -hmm. and then the second book uh is actually about uh learning disabilities like what we've oh. been talking about mm -hmm. and then the third book it's about um you know, dealing with failures as a as a child and uh, what to do and um how to bounce back excellent and then the fourth book is about um, uh, anxiety and panic attacks. And then the uh, uh, fifth book is about depression. Uh, the sixth book is actually about uh, racism and discrimination and about you know, what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And then the seventh book is about um, you know, internet safety and you know, how kids can... Uh, avoid being, uh, you know, being lured into, you know, and talking to dangerous people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the last book is actually um, dealing with um, losing a, a loved one. Mm -hmm. You know, especially in the pandemic, you know, a lot of kids are lose their grandparents, possibly their parents, and you know, it was a probably a really tough time for everyone. So I think, um, yeah. That's something that might be uh, a lot, might be very useful. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. What a cool collection of books. And how long did it take you to write all those? Um, I think I spent like a year and a half writing and doing all the illustrations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are your children inspiration for some of your work? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, I wrote them for them uh, so they can read it when they're older, but, you know, they're two and four now, so they can't really read uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> quite yet. So, mm -hmm. but the uh, the stories are actually based on you know, my experiences and the experience that uh, my patients have shared with me and mm -hmm. all the stories that I've kind of stuck with me through the years, I kind of put together and turn into a book series. Very cool. And do you struggle with mental health issues yourself? You know, I think uh, everyone kind of does at a point, uh, depending on what's going, what your circumstances are. You know, especially mm -hmm. when I was younger, definitely did you know, go through a lot of depression. Like I said, you know, went through all those rough phases. Um, uh, I was uh, where I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. I, my parents were stressed. We we're all trying to my siblings were stressed, so you know I kept all of it to myself. I didn't really talk about it with anybody. Um, you know, there's times where you know I turn on the shower, go in the shower, and cry in the shower so no one would hear me cry. Hmm. Oh man, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah wanna, no, that's why I, I, it makes me want to give you a hug, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's why. Like thinking back, you know, like reflecting on you know what I went through and then seeing my nephew not able to you know to fight off his own problems that's why I felt like maybe I would need to do something and share something with the public and help kind of educate and see that you know you're not alone I mean I wish I had something like that like that I could read and see that hey you know what I'm feeling is not weird it's actually normal I'm not I'm not alone and I should be able to talk about this and not bury it deep inside my heart and not let anyone know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how do your parents feel about what you're doing? Uh, about my book series? Yeah, it must be pretty cool for them to see you kind of reaching out to the world and making a difference, right? Oh yeah, my mom... Uh, it's funny though, when my mom read my book, she calls me and she said, did all this happen to you? I said, kind of, because <laughs> I mean, some of it's mine, some of it's not, and then she uh, she felt so bad, she's like, how come you never told me about any of this? <laughs> and you now being a mom, she felt, started feeling bad, and then I was like, yeah. mom, it's okay, I'm fine. That's she, cool. She felt like she did something wrong. You know, like, you know, as a mom, you know, she felt guilty. Like she didn't know what was going on and didn't help me through it. I said, Mom, we all had our own things we were dealing with. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, I'm sure that she's quite proud of you for uh, dealing with your own adversity, too. Yeah. I mean, I, no, I think the first thing she was was worried. And the second thing she was saying, oh, I'm proud of you for you know, trying to help and doing this. Mm -hmm. And what about your dad? I think my dad was uh, kind of the same. You know, he was like, 
how did you have time to write this series? You have two little kids. You work full time as a doctor. Yeah. I was just like, well, I made time because of what happened to my nephew, and I felt like I, whatever time I had, I had to just put into the book. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And will you continue to write more books? Do you think? Um. I mean, possibly. I mean, honestly, surprisingly, when I wrote this story, it's kind of um, helps me cope with my what I went through as well. Uh, it's kind of cathartic to kind of put everything on paper and just let it put it out there. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. And we're getting kind of close here. I want to do a couple of things. Um, one is I'd like to ask, um, could you offer some advice to anyone out there that might be struggling with, you know, mental health issues of any sort? Uh, what advice would you give them? You know, the same advice I give uh, all my patients is, you know, don't wait until it becomes a major problem to come get help. Because sometimes people wait until it comes too big of an issue and uh, affecting their life so much that they're kind of debilitated. And at that point, you know, we definitely still, you know, your doctor still can help you. But, you know, if you wait until that point, it's kind of a, a rough to <laughs> try to crawl. Yeah. Crawl and you're talking about, you're talking about things like violence and, you know, really crazy behavior that, you know, puts you in jail, things like that, right? I mean, not even that far. I mean, like, let's say, for example, you know, you're, uh, some people, you know, have dealing with depression for such a long time, mm. you know, they become, uh, they're having trouble at work, they, you know, get into discipline trouble at work, they lose their job, they become unemployed. Wow, get, all because uh, of depression. Yeah, and then, you know, they have problems with their family and their spouses, their children, and then they go get look for help, you know. I see. <laughs> and then, uh, so what I'm saying is that, you know, you don't have to wait till you get to that point to look for help. You don't have to wait till your life is falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you definitely should seek help sooner than that. Um, if sometimes I think a lot of people are hesitant to get help. They're like, I'm still dealing with okay. I'm still fine. My life is okay. And I feel like they kind of sweep it on a rug until it comes to a, a, to a point where they can't deal with it. And they've got so many things going on in their life. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of too much sometimes. Yeah. And it's kind of a weird thing. I've learned about this going through um, counseling for a number of years myself to deal with my issues um, that the brain is a really fascinating thing, you know, and if we condition the brain to believe a bad experience is something that we can survive, we will actually endure it and uh, if not repeat it over and over and it's really unhealthy. But if we can retrain our executive brain functions and replace some of that negative with positive and, you know, reassociate certain things, it can really make an amazing difference on how things look and, you know, what you feel like and all that stuff. Um, that's one of the greatest lessons that I've experienced so far, um, you know, and to seek balance, you know, and to have balance in your life. Wouldn't you say that's probably one of the keys to the whole thing is to try to maintain some sort of balance in life? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
um, you shouldn't just concentrate only on your physical health. I mean, your mental health is definitely a big part of your physical health. So, you know, getting striking that balance and kind of helping with your mental health and physical health, it's, it's probably the, uh, the optimal uh, route. Absolutely, yes. And uh, also, you know, just maintaining, um, you know, a sense of balance on and offline. You know, that's part of what I was thinking, getting outside, you know, uh, not spending all your time inside, which I'm guilty of sometimes too. <laughs> um, but it's easy to do. You know, we live in this world where if we've got our device in our hand, we're happy, right? And, yeah. you know, I'm kind of uh, of the mindset that I, like you're, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, I liked it better when things were a little simpler, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was just different, you know, without all those distractions. Um, big, big difference indeed. So this is great. Um, how do people find you? And if they were interested in learning more about your children's books or even getting connected with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, you can find more information on the book on uh, www the adventures of max and friends.org um so or you just type in on google the adventures of max and friends and then i think my website should pop up uh so the website will give you a link to uh, all the books that are out currently out and then the uh, timelines for the rest of the books that are coming out so uh, that's where you can find more information contact me um or purchase the book again it's uh the adventures of max and friends right on dot org right what's the story behind that is that the name of your book series yeah ah okay very cool so each one is a different adventure let's say yeah an adventure into the self mm -hmm. <laughs> that's cool man thank you very much for sharing today and your name is Ni dang d-a-n-g yes. is that right yeah that's correct Awesome. And it's N-G-H-I-D-A-N-G. Mm -hmm. And if you'd like to reach out and check out his great book series, be sure to look at the adventures of maxandfriends.org. Ni, I just want to thank you for being a guest today on the show and for sharing, you know, a, a very touching but enlightening topic. You know, we want to help our children. And I hope that people out there will take your words to heart and check out your books and do something to make a difference in their lives. Yeah, definitely. Right on. And I really do appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Okay. Have a good day. I will. You too. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast Show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. 
It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.